Hello. Welcome to Kiara Gets Drunk and Talks About Music. Today we're talking about Overgrown by James Blake, released in 2013 by Polydor, Republic, and Atlas Records. And my guest is Tiff. Hello. It's Tiff, me. welcome back to the pod. Thank you for having me back. I can't believe it. It's been, I think we're on our fourth round now. Fourth round, but first time that you've come on the pod um, virtually via Zoom. Right? This is so new. Everything is just... I wish I could see you in person so that I could actually hug you and we could actually make drinks together and do the whole thing, but I know this still works. This still works. I'm, I'm into it. Well, in the last time we were together doing the pod, it was January. It was the new year. It was a brand new 2020. We were all like hyped on what this year was going to bring. And here we are. <laughs> it was also Chinese New Year and look what happened afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we caused it. Maybe it was our fault. I don't know. Uh, like you've said, Tiff, you've been on the pod uh, four times now and we're always so lucky to have you on. I'm always so grateful to have you here because you're such a big music fan in general. And today's going to be an interesting episode too, because I feel like you're going to have to teach me a lot about the artist that we're talking about today, who is James Blake. Um, falls into your electronic realm of knowledge where I have a very limited bank of knowledge on the subject. Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. But this is really good because our last conversation in January, we were talking when we did the pod for the Killers Hot Bus. We were talking about our New Year's resolutions, and you did mention that this year you were going to be, you know, you're you're going to come out of your comfort zone and try and review albums that you know that you don't necessarily listen to all the time. You know, different genres, like kind of expand your horizons, and that's exactly what you're doing today. Thank you. Walked right into that trap, didn't I? <laughs> the problem with having you back on here when you were here for that, because I was like, yeah, I'm going to make this promise, and then. Well, you're following through. Following through. Aside from that, Tiff, what have you been doing in quarantine? What have What have you been listening to? Where's What's your music vibe been while the world has been in uh, isolation? I feel like it's been all over the place, but I'll start with what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of cooking, so honing in on my my spectacular chef skills. Video chats, lots of video chats featuring too much alcohol. Um, I also bought six additional plant pals and I forced them to be my quarantine friends. Love it. Do they have names? Yeah. So like Felipe's on my right. (laughs) Having a great time. How are you, boo? Yeah. And in terms of music, I remember one of the, one of the shows that got released during quarantine was like High Fidelity featuring Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Tell you that soundtrack. If you listen to the soundtrack on Spotify, it is brilliant. It is amazing. It's like a mix of like old school, new school. And, um, Questlove is actually the executive producer behind it. So love Quest for itself. Um, you'll hear a little bit of Frank Ocean. You'll hear a little bit of, I don't know, some of the old hits from like, even like the eighties and stuff. It's, it's great. So that's like one area of music I was listening to for a while. And then, um, lots of, uh, house music, Japanese house music. I was also, oh, and the new, uh, Disclosure album just came out like last Friday. So I've been kind of rocking up to that. So mostly a lot of the electronic dance music, but also a mix of some of the, the old school vibes from back in the day. I love it. Well, you have very, I feel like you have a very wide breadth of, uh, genre that you play into with your music taste too. Well, tell me about what you've been doing. Oh man, in quarantine, I mean, thank God for the pod. Pod has kept me very sane because I've been um, lucky enough to spend time with like-minded individuals like yourself who also want to chat about music when the world is total shit. I feel like my music has been a lot of me diving back into albums from the early 2000s that I used to listen to. Um, We just did an episode on John Mayer and I feel like I've been spinning Continuum like 
the last two weeks just constantly. So that like 2006, I would say to 2010 era of music. So uh, anything that was coming out alternative back then, the emo scene, I'm always, I always have spinning no matter what happens. Dan- like like stuff like Enrique, Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't you learn it on guitar too? And you were just- I did. <laughs> I was living for like the Enrique. I was listening to Natalie and Bruglia the other day. It's been hard, right? Because quarantine, artists are in quarantine too. So I've been interested to see what people have been putting out. Like there's been a lot of songs about social isolation, a lot of songs about being in quarantine, like Blink-182's released one, John Mayer's released one with Leon Bridges. Um, And a lot of people have been doing like covers or like Instagram lives from home where they've, you know, they haven't been able to do shows. So they're kind of taking advantage of the, taking advantage of the situation um, to give people like free exposure to them, which I think is kind of great. Um, nothing is going to beat live music ever, but at least we're, at least we're getting a taste. At least we're getting a little sample of what our favorite artists are working on. And what I've learned from, from quarantine just by, you know, attending a lot of these live streams via in- Instagram, like James Blake has done like three and I was there for all three. I've also caught like two of Erica Badu's quarantine series and she really shed some light on what it's like being an artist like artists rely so heavily on their tours that's their income you know their annual income a lot of the time like when you release an album the label takes a lot of that away Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll front load you maybe like let's say for example a million dollars for you to like use during that year until the album sales start to pick up but let's say your album sales don't pick up and you have to give that money back so that's something interesting that I I learned uh, through Erica Badu by just talking about how um how difficult it is sometimes when like you think an artist has so much money and that they're they're super you know rich but not necessarily not the case time. No? Yeah. yeah absolutely and it's I think it's interesting too to flip it and look at it from the side of an artist because we get we get so much from going to a show but I imagine that they miss it just as much as we do. And I'm sure that the people in the music industry are trying to get as creative as possible to do socially distanced shows. I know in uh, Germany and the UK, they've done like the platforms where you have like your own platform and stuff like that. And like, I'm just like, we need, we need solutions. We need people with, with uh, solutions to come in and and help us out because I miss concerts so much, so much. Yeah. It's been tough. It's been tough girl living alone in our condos. (laughs) Yeah. I think we've both gone crazy. I think we've both like approached crazy, circled it twice and come back. Like yeah. we're, it's been, it's been a lot, but I'm happy to have you here now. I'm so excited to talk about this album with you today. I know it's one that, uh, it's an artist that means a lot to you, an album that means a lot to you. So um, what do you say we start talking about uh, JB, James Blake? Let's do it. I'm ready. Okay, so James Blake Litherland, who is also known just simply as James Blake, is a record producer and multi-instrumentalist born and raised in London, UK. And James Blake began composing and mixing music at a very young age. He actually attended the Goldsmith University of London. And while he was completing his degree in popular music, Blake began his full-time career. He released his first EP, which was called Air and Lack Thereof, which was just a collection of tracks he recorded in his bedroom. And uh, his third EP, which was called Clavier Work, actually started as a school assignment when he was in his second year of university. It was in 2011 when Blake released his full-length self-titled album, building on the material within his first three EPs, and the James Blake we know today began to take shape. The singles off this album were Limit to Your Love, the Wilhelm Scream, and Lindisfarne slash Unluck. I hope I said Lindisfarne right. <laughs> I'm looking at you because I'm like, is that correct? To be honest, I don't, I can't, I don't understand. I don't know the pronunciation. I can't save you there. So you're on your own on that one. <laughs> All right. 
Linda's farm it is. Farn. Linda's farm it is. <laughs> Farden? I don't even know. Is there a D? Is there a D? Is there a D? I don't know. I feel like when he sings it, like you can't really, I don't think he actually says. He never says the word Lindisfarne. It sounds like something at Ikea, like Lindisfarne, and it's like a table. I think think it's because his voice is so angelic, and I think it just flows. You can't really tell what he's, I don't know. Not that song, at least. I can't remember how to pronounce it, or else I would tell you. That's okay. My voice is not nearly as angelic, so I can't get away with it, but that's fine. I Hopefully James Blake won't come for me. We'll see. The album we're talking about today is Overgrown, James Blake's second studio album released in 2013 after Blake spent time working with artists like Justin Vernon of Bonnie Vare and Kanye West. And he collaborated on this record uh, with Brian Eno, uh, who is a well, this is new for me. So Tiff, feel free to chime in. But um, based on my research, he's a kind of like the grandfather of ambient music. <laughs> electronic he's done a lot I haven't followed Brian like very closely but I know he was in that band Roxy Music and he's like a producer himself and has kind of dabbled in different fields I'm pretty sure he's collabed with uh David Bowie and stuff as well so yeah Place, yeah. The singles off of Overgrown, firstly, the title track, which was just Overgrown and Retrograde. And it was a very successful sophomore effort from James Blake. It was awarded the 2013 Mercury Prize, which for our listeners who might not know what the Mercury Prize is, it's a very, uh, it's a big deal to get the Mercury Prize in the UK. It was uh, an award that was originally conceived by Virgin Records. And artists who have won this in the past are people like New Order, Oasis, U2, Radiohead, Robbie Williams, all of these like really iconic um, UK artists. The album also paved the way for James Blake in the awards circuit, earning him a nomination for Best New Artist at the 56th Annual Grammys. And over the last 10 years of his career, James Blake has contributed work to big time names like Kendrick Lamar, Beyonce, Travis Scott, and Frank Ocean. He's received five Grammy nominations and three Brit Award nominations. And he is also Tiffany's favorite, favorite artist. Can I say that? Is that fair? Favorite artist of all time. Of all time. The most important of all the facts that I've just shared (laughs) is Tiff's favorite artist for sure. Um, But that's him. That's a little bit of a history on James Blake. Um, So Tiff, big part of the pod is we like to have a drink in hand when we're talking about our albums. So as per track eight, on this album, Overgrown. I like how you're like modeling the drink, even though this is a podcast and no one's gonna be able, no one's gonna be able to see it. As per track eight on the album called Voyeur, we're drinking today vodka voyeur. How do you make a vodka voyeur, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. You need one and a half ounces of vodka, approximately three strawberries, handful of grapes, some basil leaves, and a teaspoon of sugar or simple syrup. Muddle all of the fruit, basil, sugar together in the bottom of your shaker. Add some vodka, add some ice, shake it all together, double strain it, put it in a glass and drink it. And that's how you make a vodka voyeur. Questions, Tiff? Well, I must say your drink looks (laughs) way classier and better than mine. I kind of really, uh, mine does not look as as photogenic as yours, that's for sure. And I also- There are some chunks. Yours has some (laughs) chunks. (laughs) Some chunks of strawberry. Let's just let's just be clear on that. Yes. Um, but I also free poured the vodka and. Tiff. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what just happened. Okay, Tiff. To start things off, um, I want to know a little bit about how you came to be such a huge fan of James Blake. How did you start listening to him? What's your relationship with like him as an artist and with the Overgrown album? 
I was a James Blake super fan from day one, and I kind of discovered him from uh, this online music magazine called Resident Advisor. They're also a community platform dedicated to showcasing electronic music artists and events across the globe. And CMYK was actually the first song and EP I heard. So it was like the second EP release based on your, your intro. Um, and the song is built on samples primarily from 90s R&B. So if you know Khalees, you know that song, like My Milkshake? Milkshake. Yes, but it wasn't that song. It, it was um, her song Caught Out There. And he also samples Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody? Oh. So, and it's very, very subtle. Like you can't really tell at first glance, but it's honestly an epic song. And while in quarantine, question for you, do you ever make um, drunk purchases? Like when you're All like- All the time. <laughs> So this happened to me because I was just talking about like the limited vinyl records that I own and I was and then I was talking about James Blake and I was like, what the hell? I don't have CMYK. I don't have that EP. Let me find it. Went on Discogs. Didn't care that it cost me like 50 euros or whatever the heck it was or like maybe like 20 euros. But then once you, know, you convert it, it's like $50. And I bought it from like a used record store in Germany. Uh, oh my God. Totally forgot, totally forgot I bought it. And then it showed up last week and I was like oh my gosh this is amazing what a nice surprise but anyway so it's in my collection now and it's also my favorite James Blake song of all time I must say that's much cooler than my drunk purchase which was I tried to buy a hat for like a Blue Jays hat like a Blue Jays baseball cap this was like a couple years ago and uh (laughs) I bought a New York Yankees hat instead it like came in the mail and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) how did you like select the wrong like team completely don't even remember ordering it Tiff Anyways, continue, Tim. Okay, sorry. So, James Blake, um, he kind of emerged onto the electronic music scene in 2010. So, I've known him for a decade now. And he he emerged as the post-dubstep prince and pioneer of that genre. And for those of you that don't know, post-dubstep is actually the fusion and blending of R&B and soul with dubstep. So, it's a lot more subtle. And it's just not as, like, whoopy and, like, aggressive. Whoopy? Whoopy. Like, when you hear dubstep and bass music in general we'll hear a lot of these deep bass sounds and like a lot of wub wub wubs like yeah yeah yeah. that's how I would describe it interesting Um, and the important thing to know about James Blake is that he is a producer first that's his identity and that's his superpower um what makes him unique is that he also focuses his energy on emotion and songcraft whereas his peers are more they produce with like form and function and like heavy hitters I find. Just to touch on his production style, it's borrowed from dubstep's early morning dimness and quaking sub-frequencies, but he marries it with like softer melodic elements, almost like a preciousness and bedroom vibes, which, and you did mention how he recorded um, some of his EPs, his first EPs in the bedroom. So it's kind of like a similar story there. And one fun fact, it's not really a fun fact, but when uh, James Blake first emerged on the scene and like I was like raving about how how I thought he was so cute and so amazing and so wonderful, my friend Christian, who... Uh, I Christian's he, a friend of the... He's a friend of the pod. He was the one who helped me out um, when I was trying to pick out my equipment. Yes, exactly. And like yeah. he and I ran our radio show together too. So his first thing was like, do you remember that movie, The Sixth Sense? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, well, James Blake looks exactly like the I See Dead People kid. I think Haley Joel Osment? Osment. And then when I was looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, like a little bit, but also not quite. And if you look at Haley Joel Osment now, he kind of let himself go and looks completely different. He's not that cute kid that you fell in love with. Not even, well, actually, no, I take that back. I don't know, did anyone really fall in love with Haley Joel Osment? I didn't. 
No, yeah. Now I'm just, I'm thinking back and it was actually creepy. And also another fun fact, Marissa Cooper from the OC was also in The Sixth Sense. She played like the, the dead ghost girl. Okay, but can I also, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm a bit of an imposter. I've actually never seen The Sixth Sense. I know what happens. Like oh, I, Bruce Willis, you haven't seen it? I know, like yeah. I get it. Like he sees dead people. Oh my God. But like, I just, it's just something I've never watched. I watched American Psycho for the first time two days ago. Is that the one of Christian Bale? I don't yeah. think I've seen all of it, to be honest. Oh man, it's fucked. I like could not sleep after, but I was like, this was not a smart decision. So I don't think I want to watch Sixth Sense by myself. Is there a chainsaw scene in American Psycho? Yes. Okay, that's probably the scene I caught. And I was like, no, not for me. Yeah, it's like Jared Leto, poor Jared Leto. Also, two years older than Christian Bale. Jared Leto is 48 years old. How is he 48 years old? He's pulling like a J-Lo. They're like- He's like Benjamin Buttoning. He's like, (laughs) but opposite. He's like, no, opposite? No, he's doing the Benjamin Button thing. He's looking better as he, yeah. Like I- I don't understand, but he doesn't last long in the movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, he dies. Also, shout out to 30 Seconds to Mars. I used to love that band when I was an emo kid. <laughs> 30 Seconds to Mars, Closer to the Edge, Kings and Queens. <laughs> oh, so good. Anyway, sorry, we're getting off topic. Okay, so James Blake looks a little bit like Haley Joel Osment, but we're here for it. Cool. Yes, we are. He doesn't look like him anymore. Okay. Okay, so you, you discovered James Blake ba- way back in 2010. This album came out in 2013. What was your vibe when you first started listening to that? And how has it kind of grown with you since then? So 2013 was an incredible year for electronic music. I always reminisce with my like-minded friends on how dope electronic music was in the early 2010s. The Toronto music scene was bumping at the time as well. There were constant parties and after parties featuring many underground artists on the rise. James Blake being one of them. I was fortunate enough to catch James Blake on his Overgrown tour, which was at Cool House at the time. I think it was, it was actually around my birthday. But um, anyway, that show is fucking phenomenal. Like the set list was true to to the James Blake that I know and love. And it featured a lot of the beloved songs from this first self-titled album and his three EPs from 2010, but also, um, and, and especially my favorite song, like CMYK, he played that pretty early on. Another important thing to note is that James Blake, he used to DJ after parties right after his live concert in every city. Um, and, the con- and the after party was promoted as uh, 1-800-DINOSAUR. So the idea of 1-800-DINOSAUR as any sort of entity came as a result of these impromptu late night gatherings, which ultimately became the birthplace of the collective, which it's, and like now the 1-800 collective has grown into a club night that's now able to stand very steadily on its own two feet. And it's also music label now. Interesting. Oh my God, you're teaching me so much. (laughs) I'm learning so many things right now. My brain is like, whoa, like I'm just like trying to, I'm trying to absorb it all. Cause again, I I don't know. Information, information overload, but this is great. Me living through the scene and then kind of like growing with him as he was progressing through, you know, all the albums that he's produced over the last years, the last 10 years. Absolutely. When he clearly means a lot to you, Tiff, like, you know, you know so much about him and, and who he is and his style and like his like production style, even like, I'm just like, you, like you went in, you went in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I won't be able to share as much detail um, my relationship with James Blake hundred percent came about because I met you. So if I had <laughs> never met you, I wouldn't know who James Blake was. I wouldn't know. I mean, I know shit all about elect- the electronic scene, but I know a little bit more just by like, uh, osmosis by knowing you. So you and I, like we met back in, uh, I would say 2016, we became friends kind of like late 2016, early 2017. And, um, I think that's the only reason I learned the name James Blake. 
And it's very, it's, it's rare for me to come on the pod and not have like a really concrete idea of who the artist is. Like typically we've stuck to, we've stuck to artists that I at least know something about. And James Blake was like a very big question mark for me. And I think in doing my research, I was like, holy shit, like James Blake is kind of like the, he's kind of like the Dave Grohl of the electronic scene. So like Dave Grohl's a lead singer of Foo Fighters. And he's kind of like that guy within the alt rock scene that like everybody knows and he's worked with everybody and he's done side projects and his own thing. And he, you know, plays like he's a multi-instrumentalist as well. And like, when you look at Foo Fighter credits, like now he's obviously got his band and everything, but he'll do like drums. And it's like, Dave produced this track, wrote this track, plays the drums on this track. And they feel like in reading on genius, like the, the credits for this overgrown album, it was literally like written by James Blake, produced by James Blake, engineered by James Blake, all other instruments. cut. (laughs) literally everything I was like this man is a one man uh he's like a one man band and it's fantastic it was a kind of like I wrote down here it's like doing a group project when no one else contributes (laughs) you know what I mean yeah so I just I thought that was really interesting it was really cool for me to um allow myself to just take the time to learn about an artist that I don't really know a lot about I do kind of carry a bit of weight with James Blake only because First time I heard Overgrown, it was actually Retrograde, which was the first song I actually heard was because a guy who I was dating, who shall remain nameless, was the one who sent me that song in an effort to get me to listen to more of his style of music. Excuse me? Yeah. (laughs) That was the first time I gave the album a full, full, full listen. And I'm sorry about that, Tiff. So, but so it was kind of like, it was almost daunting coming back and listening to it now because, you know, you, you tie music back to people. Right. And I remember so much of the, the first time I listened to an album with somebody or a song somebody sent me that like sent me on a path of discovery with an artist or a genre or an era of music. And um, I was a little bit worried going back into it. I was like, what kind of feelings is this going to dig up? I don't really know. But I realized that my love for music in general and my love for you, obviously, Love you, appreciate you. But my love for those, you, like people like you in my life, for music in my life is stronger than the, the temporary people or the temporary yeah. things that have been around. Again, I don't know shit about the genre that we're going to go into today. I know very <laughs> little about James Blake, but I'm going to do my best to keep up with you. Um, and that's why you're here. And I'm so happy to have you back. And I'm so excited to like dive into the, the details. Yes, I'm ready for it too. Okay. So overgrown, we've got, there's about 11 tracks on this record, Tiff. Um, we're not gonna be able to talk through all of them today, but where do you want to start the conversation today? What's one that really stands out in your mind? I think we should probably start with retrograde. It's the first single off the album. How do you feel about that? I love it. Let's do it. So retrograde, I find the vocals are incredibly strong and they take the front seat at first while his piano floats along behind the echo of his voice and simple percussion beat. Then suddenly I'm hit and the Suddenly track. I'm hit. I'm just going to say, I should sing that part. Suddenly I'm <laughs> hit. I'm so off key. So suddenly I'm hit and the track takes off as the synths kind of get heavy and like that you'll hear the heavy bass slide into the mix. And I was kind of just Googling the definition of retrograde. So retrograde in general, like means to go back in position or time. And I feel like this song is about his lover at the time, perhaps a woman that he loved who has, who has uh, lost her way and he's trying to kind of bring her back to what she once was because if you hear some of his lyrics I feel like a lot of them are words of encouragement he says don't let the hurdle fall so be the girl you loved or I'll wait so show me why you're strong so I feel like he knows that things will get better and that he's known her for a long time and that she's strong and 
probably has beaten other obstacles in her life. So that's my take on that song based on just lyrics alone. How do you feel? Like, are, are we on the same page? We are definitely on the same page. I quoted the same <laughs> lyric. Um, I That's what I, when I think about retrograde, I think about that suddenly I'm hit part because I feel like it's it's such a central core part of the song, right? Like you said, it really starts to take off from there. And in really sitting down and, and listening to the lyrics and actually like going through on Genius and reading them, it's a really nice tribute to somebody he cares a lot about. And like you said, somebody who has maybe gone through some shit and needs a reminder of how great they are. One of the lines I really like in this song is where he says, show me where you fit. Um, yes. Because I believe like when you're when you're inviting new people into your life, you're meeting new people, it's kind of like, okay, well, where do you fit in the context of my life? And, and once the artifices fade away, like show me who you are, like show me where you fit in then the greater context of the world. I also had another thought that I was like, is this a love letter to himself? I know he mentions a woman, but what oh. are you really, you know, like, is he kind of like trying to give himself some encouragement? That's like the second thought I, that I had. It's either he's talking about like a woman that he really cherished at the time, or he's talking about himself and how he personally needs um, words of encouragement and to get back to what he used to be or who he used to be or who he used to know, you know? So definitely. Yeah. It opens with some humming. There's humming action, right? Yes. The humming. So humming the live performance of retrograde is truly amazing. He actually builds the song from scratch live. So he starts with the hums, you know how like it's a, like the humming is like part of the melody. It's part of yeah. the chord. Right? So he usually, before he performs this song live with his band, he will ask the audience to kind of quiet down so that he can actually record the humming portion of the song. Oh, um, he asks very politely, right? So then, <laughs> um, but then everyone gets excited and cheers anyway. So then, what's ex- what's really amazing is that he'll do the humming segment, record it, and then he loops it, and that melody gets looped throughout the entire song. But when he's doing it live because people can't help themselves because they're in the presence of James Blake, you still hear all this cheering and stuff, right? Then he adds the beat and I feel like it's a snare and then he sings on top of that and then it, and then it kind of, he like builds the song from scratch, right? And that's from start to finish. I think that's really cool too because I think some of the apprehension that some people have around electronic music and let me know if you disagree with this, but I feel like some of the apprehensions that people carry is that like, they're like, well, they just have to go up there and like press play on their computer and then they don't have to do anything. But there's a lot of producers who do what James Blake does, which is like, no, I'm going to rebuild the song here. And in that sense, it's, it's, it's more authentic too, because every time they build it, it's different with different audience noises and stuff. Exactly. And like, I feel like when a producer is is called the DJ, that's kind of like a huge insult. It's like, no, DJs are different from producers. Producers actually produce off Ableton or Fruity Loops, whatever program they're using to produce music, they're actually producing it and mastering it from scratch. Versus a DJ is just mixing tracks that have already been completed. And sometimes DJs use equipment that make it even easier for you to kind of beat match, you know, you don't even have to beat match. Sometimes you can just kind of use a DJ controller and do it, you know? So there's a huge difference. Okay. Um, I'm going to go next, Tiff. I, where do I want to start the conversation? I don't know, girl. You tell me. I'm actually curious in knowing my music taste. Yes. Do you have an idea of what my favorite song on the record is? Absolutely. I think your favorite song is going to be life round here. Ooh, that's close. I do like that one. It's close. Shoot. Maybe since we're already talking about Life Frontier, let's go to Life Frontier because I do love that song. Okay, cool. I'll keep them wanting more when it comes to my it favorite song. It will let you know why that's your favorite song, but yes. Yes, I do really like Life Frontier. To me, so what I found interesting about listening to this song uh, as I was doing my research too is, do you ever listen to Glass Animals? They're a British, uh, they're a UK band. 
Um, I didn't listen to them, but I know who they are. Yes. So they have a song called Cane Sugar off of their um, How to Be a Human Being album. And it's kind of cut this like very like, uh, the only word I can use to describe it is almost like a, like a beepy electronic kind of opening. And when I started listening to Life Round Here, I was like, oh, it sounds a lot like Cane Sugar. Um, I'd highly recommend to listen to anybody who's not listening to Glass Animals. They're a very interesting experimental band too. It kind of carries the same vibe. The lyrics in this song were what really stood out to me about the track. So he says, part-time love is the life round here. We're never done. And I feel like this track is someone not putting in the same amount of work into a relationship or someone not showing the same amount of care that you might be showing. Um, And, you know, like when it comes to a a relationship, you've got to have that like two-way full-time love. Like you can't have part-time love. I don't know if that ever really works for anybody. You both have to be like involved and in it. Uh, So as I was thinking that, when I heard that lyric and I was like, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be a full-time thing. There was some random person on Genius who said, this is literally a song for hookup culture. And I was like, Thank you, random person on the internet. You hit the hit nail on the head. Like, yes, I'm catching your vibe. I'm picking up. And you could feel that. Like if you're if you're like hanging out with someone or like you're going on a few dates and you're just like, this person like doesn't really care. They're not putting in the effort to text me. Like they're not, they're not into it. It's like you like you feel it like internally. It's like not just do you you know what I mean? I just want to say I quoted the exact same lyrics and then in caps lock I wrote, Could this be related to online dating culture? That's exactly (laughs) what I have written and the lyrics I quoted the same as yours part-time love is the life round here we're never done now we're at square one and that's the perfect I guess phrase or like quote of the year on how dating is like not even just 2020 because we're dealing with a pandemic right now but Mm -hmm. in general like you go on a few dates you get ghosted it's just it's just they're they're part-time you know like and then you're back at square one exactly you're back at square one starting again going it's like this it's a cycle of doom it just never it never ends you know it's the worst it's absolutely the worst that's what really stuck out to me about this song um there is okay so something embarrassing i kind of have to admit was there's a part in the song which i believe is in the chorus where he says everything feels like a touchdown on a rainy day and Every time I listened to the song, I was just like, I would sing it. Like, I'd be like, everything feels like a touchdown. Like, I would just like get so into it. Yeah. But I, I just assumed, I'm like, he's talking about football. Like, I literally, like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm like, a touchdown? Like, that's where my mind went. And then when I was on Genius and somebody was like, yeah, like a touchdown on a rainy day as if like you're trying to land a plane and it's hydroplaning and and, and skidding on the runway and stuff. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I've been using the wrong metaphor this entire time. But it's, yeah, uh, it's Rocky landing. Yeah. At Rocky Landing, exactly. Well, everything's fucking rocky when you're dealing with this this part-time love. Like, yeah, like, boy, bye. Like, come on. <laughs> so with the song specifically, I really appreciate the ascending and descending piano riff that accompanies the drum machine. And I don't know if you know this, but the reason why I thought this was your favorite song is because, have you heard the remix with Chance the Rapper? No. Oh my God, there's a... There's a remix of Life Round Here with Chance the Rapper. There's in it, and there's a music video that accompanies it. What? And the music video is in black and white. So like James is driving, and Chance is like his passenger, and they're just driving around in a car with the top down, and they're driving through like the English countryside and kind of seeing people along the way. Because we're talking about 2013, this was also around the time when acid rap blew up as well. So James right. Blake has always been that person that kind of collaborates with an artist right before they blow up. Chance the Rapper is one of them, even like Rosalia off his new album, Assume Yeah. Water, right before she blew up. So that's kind of his vibe in general. Fun fact about James and Chance, they were apparently supposed to be roommates together in LA. So 
Chance like described their like shared home as like this big ass rapper mansion. It was called the Koi Castle. And apparently it was like well equipped with a pool, a movie theater and a basketball court. But then James Blake, he says James Blake like backed out. But then when you hear James Blake in an interview, he's like, I don't know why you said that. That was weird. Like I went to visit him at this castle, this like mansion one day. And like he said, my name was on the lease. And I thought that was weird. So I don't know. Like interesting how that happened but that was just a fun fact i think they were supposed to be like they're, they're like friends in real life and stuff but you should check out the music video just because i know you love chance and i and you've reviewed him once or twice on your podcast once, once. on the pod we did acid rap yeah with uh <laughs> shout out friend tashar miss you tashar <laughs> so that's why i thought it would have been your favorite track in case you knew about his uh chance being featured because chance is like rapping on the track also like humming a bit and singing along so yeah check it out I will. And to our listeners, also check it out. If you liked if you liked our episode on Chance the Rapper, maybe this is also a good good song for you to start your James Blake journey with. Tiff, where do you want to take us from here? Let's talk about Overgrown. Ooh, title track. Title track. This is a song you like, I'm assuming. This is a song I love. James like called the album Overgrown after he made this specific track and named it Overgrown. And he mentioned in an interview that this song was about the post-apocalyptic state that you find yourself in mentally. So I did some digging because I was like curious about what that meant. And I read that the song's main sentiment is of wanting to be around still when everything's overgrown. And this was actually inspired by an encounter he had with Joni Mitchell. So she's a Canadian legend and she apparently gave him some advice on how to build a long lasting career. And if you even listen to some of his lyrics, he says, I don't want to be a star, but a stone on the shore long door frame the wall when everything's overground so Mm. my take on that is that I feel like he because James Blake was rising he was a rising star at the time when his sophomore album came out and I feel like he was like worried for his future like his career was finally in the spotlight people knew who he was and I I could sense that he didn't want to become a sellout because fame does come at a price and I'm and I'm assuming because of that he had a like a very thoughtful conversation with Joni Mitchell and that's what inspired the song and this album. And the song is like warms my heart because some of the lyrics here are like, I, I drew a map of Canada, oh Canada. So this is so memorable when you hear him perform this song in Toronto because everyone just cheers in unison when he sings about Canada. Sometimes he'll like change it to Toronto, but most of the time, like when you, when the lyrics are Canada and he says it twice, then it's like, like you're bonding with him, you know? So that's you're like, like, it's me. I live in Canada. Please love me back. Please love me back. <laughs> How did you feel about this one? I love this song as well. I, I feel like with a lot of the songs that I end up doing, it's like there's certain hooks, there's certain lyrics that um that just always like bring me in. And for, for this song, it was the lone door frame in a wall when everything's overgrown. The, the lyric that you already mentioned, because the imagery is so strong there. You know, like sometimes if you're just like, you're out and you're like, I don't know, I'm like, you're just like out in a forest. Not that like we're all just casually out in forests, but like you ever see houses where the ivy has really grown over and like nature has taken over an abandoned building or monument or statue or something. And that imagery is so strong because that monument, that building, that statue, whatever it is, it's still there, but it's been overtaken by time. And so for him, it's about like you said, longevity and how to have a, have a successful career. And yeah, like he, the, the vibe I've gotten from him, especially with this song is like, he's not someone who is like thriving on fame. Very similar, I would say to someone like Frank Ocean, who's kind of like keeps his head down, does his thing, focuses in on his craft and isn't like a limelight person. He puts his music and, and what he does 
first and foremost, above everything, above fame, above interviews, like awards, all of that. It's it's about like making music that means a lot to him and, and music that means a lot to the people he's affecting. The whole track, I think, has a really great heartbeat. Um, and I know that that's probably not the technical term, but... Um, I do think it carries a nice constant hum of sound. There's like moments where it, like you said, it ascends and then it kind of comes back down. And then when he says, so if that is how it is, everything almost like dissipates. He goes like, so if that is how it is and everything kind of like slows down for a moment. I'm like, oh, what's he saying now? Like I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat listening to it. It's very, it's a very exciting thing to listen to. It's very special. Very special. My turn? Your turn. Okay, I'm going to go to my favorite song this time. Okay. <gasps> Wait, before you tell me, let me try. And I'm going to sip my drink. You you think about it. Is it Voyeur because you named the drink that? Is that why it's your favorite track? Or is it like the RZA track, Take a Fall for Me? Because it has like a hip hop element. I will say you're getting colder. Or is it DLM because it's kind of like introspective gospel and I feel like that's kind of your vibe. You're really into like the melodies. Oh, you're nodding your head. So <laughs> it's DLM. DLM. I love it because of its simplicity. I love a good complex track with like hidden meetings and like, you know, crazy multi-instrumentalism and all of these like insane lyrics and metaphors and shit like that. I, don't get me wrong. Those are great. But sometimes when it's just a dude on a piano, a song in isolation can be the most beautiful thing. He can do insane things in the studio. He is an insanely talented producer, but he's also a talented singer-songwriter. And I think this song strips back everything we had heard so far on the album to just focus in on him serenading us at the piano, which I really, really love. And the song is called DLM because it's it plays into Don't Let Me Hurt You. So like DLM, Don't Let Me. Um, and the lyric in the, the main part of the song is, please don't let me hurt you more. It's in your stare and at your core. So he knows in singing this song that I think he's accepted the fact that the relationship he's singing about is is over. And he feels probably guilty about the hurt that he's already caused. But what I found even more sad is like, it's not like a typical breakup song where you're begging someone to take you back. It's like, no, please like stay away from me because I'm going to hurt you more. Please don't make me hurt you more. Please don't make me do all these things that like I hate about myself and that I don't want to do to you. And I thought that was really like, that was really powerful because clearly he's like, if I stay with you, it's going to get worse. So it's a sad song. It's a, it's yeah, a downer. It's yeah, it is a downer. But I love this song too, because it's like introspective gospel almost. And it's like a beautiful piano ballad. And you can kind of actually really take James Blake's vocals in. Like a lot of mm -hmm. his other tracks on the album, you do hear the vocals first, but then blends it with all the production behind it. But this song is just truly just piano and his beautiful voice. Yes. Voice of an angel. Show me where it hurts, James Blake. Tell me. Tell me with words. Show me where it hurts. <laughs> and like, that's, I don't know, that's what I imagine. But um, love, love, love this song. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, of course you would love the song that was, you know, stripped down and James and his piano and his beautiful voice. James, JB, the other JB, not Justin Bieber. The oh, God. The real JB, <laughs> Justice real Beaver. <laughs> oh, The Office. It makes it into every single pod episode and I am okay with it. <laughs> where do you want to go? Where do you want to, where do you want to jump next? I think we should speak to, I have, well, I like Digital Lion and Voyeur. So which one should we do first? So I will say this, Digital Lion and Voyeur were the two songs I listed as ones I didn't love on this record. 
Oh my god, these are the fucking best ones. Not the, not that they're the best ones, but like it's because I know you don't like. The, it's because these these are the most techno of the songs. They song. are, and that's fine, and I respect it, and that's great. It's just I literally had to write down in my notes like I don't know what's happening. So it was just <laughs> it was just a lot. But I do want to hear your take on them because you know a lot more about the genre than I do, and I feel like you will have some great insights to share. Oh, do I? <laughs> So like, okay. So like, for example, Digital Lion, what's your take on Digital Lion? Digital Lion kind of has like those techno roots, you know, it's very dark and techno-y and just intense. So the sound, but to me, the sound is almost like meditative and very propulsive. It starts off with like a gentle introduction, but then once you hit the one minute mark, there's a, like a, a moment of silence and then all you can hear are like clicking sounds. Yeah. Then you're like, where's this going to go? But then like that gentle aura gets broken by like an ambient interlude and then it becomes, it starts to get dark and techno-y and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like almost like a growing menace until the song completes itself. But because I love house and techno music, this is what I gravitated towards. You know, it's like one of those like dark party songs that you would hear at the club and the same and it's the same thing with Boyer as well. Like they're both similar. Something that I wished is that there were more lyrics like I, I love James oh, Blake's uh, voice <laughs> and then he just says like the the digital lion and what is it I can yeah. see you prowling or, or something like that and I really like like that part of the song and then yeah when it gets into the when it dips down it goes into that minute and then it comes back really strong and like you said it's very yeah. menacing I think it's a great way to describe it and it does kind of going back to imagery it does kind of give me a sense of like it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable, but it's almost like a predator on the prowl. Like it's, yeah. I can almost like see the shoulder blades of like a, a fucking like jaguar or a leopard, like through the, through the desert or whatever, where, where do they live? The Serengeti? <laughs> I don't know. Lion King? <laughs> Help me. It's not that I hate, I don't hate these songs. I just feel like I didn't understand what was happening. It's like different from the rest of the album. You know, it's like the two most techno and darkest songs on this, on Overground. I will say, you know what? both of these songs are good for is like hauling fucking ass to wherever you need to be. Cause I <laughs> was in such a rush today. I had to go buy the ingredients. No, seriously. I had to go buy the ingredients for our voyeur cocktail. And I was like, shit. I was like, I, I wasn't able to leave work at the time that I wanted to. So leave work in air quotes. I'm working from home, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. wasn't able to sign off for my computer uh-huh. at the time I wanted to. So then I was just like, shit, I got it. Like I'm told tip this time and I got to go get the, sh- the things and blah, blah. and I'm like walking, like speed walking, like down the street <laughs> trying to digital line and like man it made me like my parents always make fun of me because they say I walk fast and I feel like my speed sped up by like two and a half times just by listening to that song because yeah. it feels like almost something's behind you chasing you which I thought yeah. is a really really cool thing but it also like low-key stressed me out so this will be ones that I'll have to give more of a listen to but they're yeah. ones that I, I more often than not I'm ashamed to admit I do skip them where do my you want to take us let's talk to take a fall for me featuring Riza. okay 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 you ready? I'm ready. So this song features RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. I guess like James like set the track to RZA, um, but he told himself that if RZA wasn't going to accept it or, and didn't want to kind of collaborate, then he wasn't going to have another rapper on it. It was just, it, it was produced for RZA specifically. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So like the lyric that I noted um, was that it's like repetitive throughout the song. Like you can't marry her yet. That's like the little phrase that James keeps singing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like, sounds like unrequited love, like a woman who plans on marrying another man. 
the song's also special to me because it's like it's alternative hip-hop it's not traditional it's not the hip-hop that you would hear because the production is so experimental and electronic and my favorite lyric on this track is uh when Riza says uh don't throw my soul over to the poltergeist yeah yeah, that's a great phrase because I feel like it's it's a powerful phrase to kind of drive the don't marry him point home. Like marrying this other man would kind of destroy James Blake's soul is what I get from this track. Absolutely. I It's funny that you mentioned that. I said that same thing, the, the lyrics. So don't throw the dice. Don't let them throw the dice. Don't throw my soul over to the poltergeist. And when he says poltergeist, it kind of gets, it's almost like distorted when he says poltergeist. Similarly, a little bit later on in the song where he says like, always remember us. And it's like more mechanical and it's, it's, it's done in a similar style. I do like this song too. It's not one of my favorites, I would say off the record. And I also... I don't have a lot of exposure to Wu-Tang Clan or to RZA, but what I what I appreciated about the song was how complex his lyrics were and I think how well how well he raps, which sounds really like kind of naive to say, but the lyrics weren't really anything that I would have ever heard before, so one of the ones I wrote down were tight as the grip of the squid, gentle as the finger touch of a newborn kid. I wouldn't trade her smile for a million quid. And I just yeah. thought that line like it's just so smooth and it like rolls off the tongue and but but words that I would never have like anticipated to be in a rap verse either, which I really liked. And then, yeah, just having like JB in the background, just be like, you can marry her. I'm just like, oh man, it's so sad. (laughs) It's so sad. More of a neutral one, I would say for me overall on the album, there's definitely songs I like more, but it's one that comes on and I'm like intrigued as a listener. I'm like, Ooh, what's going on here? What is happening? What are they talking about? You know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Very, very cool. Very cool song for sure. All right, Tiff, we've reached the critical point in the Kiara Gets Drunk and Talks About Music podcast, which is where we have to we have to rate the album at the end of the day. We've been enjoying our Vodka Voyeur cocktails. Um, so we're going to give the album a rating out of five Vodka Voyeurs. But what I want to do at this time is just speak to how you feel about the album in general and leave our listeners with some closing thoughts on the record. So can you do that for me now at this moment? This album is just brilliant from start to finish. The flow of production, the lyricism, the storytelling of love, yearning, and cosmic loneliness is just beautiful. And you really hear the elements of gospel, R&B, techno, jazz, and his signature dub sound throughout this entire album. And it's honestly always the first album I recommend to someone who hasn't heard of James Blake's works, which is why I recommended it to you when you were like, oh, who's James Blake? This is the first one I will recommend because it's a solid 11, 12 song album. You're like this guy, bitch. Listen, educate yourself. <laughs> Listen to it. And I know I've said this over and over again, but he does have the voice of a literal angel and it really has the power to make grown men cry. Another thing I love about James Blake is like, he's just so endearing. I was, uh, I did some creeping last night, just looking on the 1-800-DINOSAUR website. And I come across James Blake's bio along with the rest of his uh, bandmates and like his manager and stuff. And I'm wondering if he wrote this bio about himself because it's just, it's so bizarre. I need to read it to you right now. It says, um, James Blake from Enfield, AKA Harmonimix, AKA Prince of the Valley of the Wind, AKA Jacket Beans and Cheese. (laughs) So weird. Following a thunderous argument about experimental free jazz, he was expelled from Jotunheim the land of the giants, and now lives in an allegorical cave in rural China, playing 3D chess with a golden boar called Gullenbursty. His two ravens, Hugen and Munin, fly over the world daily and return to tell him everything that has happened in the world of digital pianos. Weapon of choice, silence. That is his bio. 
on this label. Weapon of like, choice, silence. I feel like hilarious. he's a huge dork. I know that I'm like, are you like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of fan? Just based on this bio, you're talking about giants and like these, I barely knew how to pronounce names of this Gullenbursty and it was it's like Lindisfarne all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but he does mention Prince of the Valley of the Wind. And I know where that reference comes from, because if you have watched the Studio Ghibli movie, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, that is referenced oh. to that movie. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Interesting. So many Easter eggs. I love it, Tiff. I love it. So we know you love James Blake. You're a huge fan. What would you give this album out of five vodka voyeurs? I think you already know my answer, but this is going to be a five out of five vodka voyeurs. It is my favorite James Blake album to this day. I find that it's perfect from start to finish, like I had mentioned before. And it's just flawless in my opinion. And yes. Five out of five vodka voyeurs. So it was really interesting for me doing this episode and having to come up with this rating because it's an album that I feel like I'm still discovering so much about. Even in talking to you, I feel like I'm taking away so many of these like hidden gems of detail about James Blake as an artist and his process. And it makes me want to learn more and it makes me want to go back and re-listen before I almost give you the rating that I have now. Um, Particularly with songs that I've already talked to you about, which are like Voyeur and Digital Lion, where I was like, this is too much for my brain. I don't get it. Um, (laughs) Too techno for me. I can't do it. Too techno for me. Like someone bringing a guitar. What's happening? But it was really cool for me to experience. It was a whole new way of listening to music for me. And I'm somebody who has music going constantly. And it was different listening to this. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a record that I could just leave on and kind of like let it play. It was one that I felt very compelled to be like here and present for. And that's probably because there's so many layers to, to what James Blake does. It's like, you don't want to miss anything. And I think in that regard too, that's what makes him such an incredible artist. And I really respect that as a fan of music in general. So I do have to say at this point in time, I'm giving the record a four and a half out of five. At this point oh in time, my gosh, four, four and a half, half out of five. And I do think it has the potential to go to match your rating out of five too, because, you know, after we hang up this call today too, it's like, I, I'm like, I need to go back and re-listen to that. I want to hear what Tiff is talking about when she mentions this, this, the womp, what are, what are the womp womps of dubstep? The wub wubs. The wub wubs. That was <laughs> As a music fan, it makes me want to do more and it makes me want to dig in more. And I think that that's, uh, again, a sign of a great album when you're like, I can't, I, I got to hear what they do next. I got to hear what else they got in their repertoire. And who knows, like maybe once you get the taste of the future techno parties I take you to, you'll go back and listen to this album and be like, wow, I love Voyeur. I love Digital Lion. They're like, you know, exactly. one of the highlights on this album. And we're always like, we're, our music taste is always adapting. Look at, off the top, we were talking about the some of the music that we were listening to back in the early 2000s and how it still resonates with us, maybe in a different way, but mm-hmm. we've still come back to it. So things change. Yeah, full circle, you know? Full circle. Absolutely. Well, Tiff, I had such a blast talking about this album with you today. Clearly, you're such an expert on the subject too. So I'm just like, in, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. This was such a great experience for me as the host. And I hope you had a great time coming on as, a, as our guest for the fourth time. Thank you so much for coming. I just, I hope you had as good a time as I did. I learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for having me. I like, very appreciate how you purposefully selected an album that you knew was my favorite artist and my favorite 
album from this artist and like gave me the platform to kind of speak about it and to share my thoughts and insights about how much I love this album. So thank you so much. Love you. Appreciate You're so welcome. Love you. Appreciate you too, Tiff. And can't wait to see you in person again very, very soon. It's been far too long. I know. Let me try and hug you through the screen. Can I? Big hug, virtual <laughs> hug, virtual Zoom hug. Bye.